on-site podcasts, industry experts, unfiltered opinions. Log on to www.knowyourselfouthere.com to watch or listen to the big catalogue of episodes on the Know Yourself Out Here network. We are broadcasting live from Levi's House of Strauss, SK Vibe Maker in a hot seat. Who else did you think it was going to be? We like to have expert conversation. We like to bring in the heavyweights. And today's a different one. I actually haven't met these guys before we actually started recording today. This is like a first meet and a first conversation. I'm being honest about it. Some people lie. We're giving you just pure honesty today. Oxide and Neutrino are in the building. What's going on, sir? Yes, what's going on? What's going on, guys? All good, all good. I want to say, before there was like Stormzy, before there was Tiny Temper, Tinchy Strider, before there was like Digger D, Central C, all of your guys that are popping at the moment. Saturn dropped down in the studio, but it's all right. Mm-hmm. Before there was Sway, before there was Kano, before there was Getz, before there was a lot of your favourite UK MCs, there was so solid crew. You know what I'm saying? And you lot were an integral part of that. To anybody today that's thinking like, who are Oxide and Neutrino? How would you kind of break it down, man? Let's go with you, Oxide. Um, cool, I us in it deep end. Um, well, we're, yeah, DJ MC, um, part of So Solid. Um, started from Pirate Radio, talking back 98-ish, around that time. Um, and yeah, just seeing the whole kind of journey that music's taken over the last few years. Um, we're heavily involved in the club scene still, and still putting out music. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. How would you break it down, Neutrino? I think groundbreaking, pioneers, uh, first DJ MCs to have a number one hit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, our music help shape uh, not only Garage Grime as well. Um, yeah, kind of like foundation of of starting a lot of things. You know the maddest thing is what I enjoy about sitting down in this building right here and having these weekly conversations is that we have an array of guests. It's so easy for like us to sit down and have interviews and conversations regarding clout. We could be sitting down here with like influencers. We could be sitting down here with your newest artists just for the sake of it. But no, today we want to sit down and have a deep dive. Like in this UK architecture here, we've had many subgenres. A lot of people like to talk about like the MCs and the producers that are popping at the moment, but there's been loads of genres. Right now, the UK drill thing's popping. Before that, like there was like the Afro wave, there's been the grime segment. There's been like, there's been um, baseline, there's been dubstep, there's been garage, there's been drum and bass. I feel like the time that you guys came out was more connected to like sort of the the drum and bass and the garage era. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's important today to have a conversation about the importance of that era drum and bass going into the garage where you guys were popping at the beginning of the century and like the the groundwork that was put down because do you guys feel like that era is acknowledged enough or appreciated enough like you said the first number one mc dj duo i feel like even people don't even speak about that no um touching on what you said i think the jungle is an important part that doesn't get the recognition that it deserves a lot of the MCs and DJs that came into Garage that were successful was they were jungle MCs and DJs and they brought that kind of flavour into Garage. Like Garage had so many subgenres with within the, the, the scene which made it appealing to everyone. 
But like for myself and Oxide, we started off in Jungle and, you know, heavily influenced by the likes of um, Cool FM, Rinse FM as well. Um, so the likes of, yeah, like R.I.P., uh, Skibidi, Shabba, Brocky Debt, but even the Rinse FM guys like Wiley, Target, Genius, Riddles, um, R.I.P., DJ Trend, um, helped shape like going into garage and just giving it that different different sound. Um, it was just an evolving sound, like Nuke said, come from jungle and garage was a bit lighter at the time that we got involved and we kind of preferred the darker element and that's the sound that we were kind of pushing through and people liked. And what I think happens with music a lot, the younger generation come up and they hear elements of music that they like. So that then when they make music, they'll take you know, the bits they was inspired by, they'll make music with those bits. And for us, there were a lot of garage tunes that had like a good drop, but then they would go a bit light and, you know, little vocals and chops would come in that we didn't necessarily like. So we'd kind of strip all the track, all the, strip it all back to basically, you know, just the drums and the bass and kind of, yeah, push that sound. I mean, some of your favorite new UK drill artists, you could just do a quick little Google and you will see that they have been sampling some of the finest of garage classics and drum and bass classics as well. They might have sampled who sampled, do you know what I mean? So why is that era not getting more of an acknowledgement? I, I don't know, I guess think time moves on, you know? Like, I think for us, we when we got into music, we weren't really necessarily looking back, we we're looking forward. And, you know, people might have felt disrespect when we first come onto the scene and we're like, not maybe bigging them up, but we're just in our own zone. And I guess that's what the generation are doing now. They're coming into what they're hearing and then just making what they want to make rather than looking back, oh, so who helped create the genre? You know, it's not really their responsibility maybe to, you know, care even. <laughs> the way I see my thing, like we're all artists, we're all creatives and I see myself as a student of this DJ presenter art form. So I don't want to copy, but I want to maybe give acknowledgement and know about the, the big people that have came beforehand and learn from them. Mm -hmm. So why would we be in a time, and I'm not saying people need to do so much homework, but mm -hmm. why wouldn't why wouldn't one want to acknowledge people that have laid the groundwork down? Do you guys even care about that stuff that maybe you're not acknowledged as much? Do you know the one thing I do care about is when people make documentaries that ain't accurate, like this how crime come about or this how X, Y and Z come about. If you're going to stand up and say this is the facts, get them right in it. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, that's all I really care about you, anyway. You, you have to, yeah, going touching on that, you have to have people that were there and lived it. Not mm. some guy that's come in and, you know, looked from the outside, looking in, read it in a book. It doesn't work like that. That's how you get it wrong. Um, but then I guess that's kind of only some of the people involved in the scene to actually do that. But touching back on about what you're saying, um, I think maybe that comes with a bit of maturity. If you're young and you're just doing your thing, you're not necessarily, like Ox said, looking back. But I think as you grow older, then you might start to think, actually, you know, where did that come from? Where did that sound? Who made that? And yeah, I, I guess as well, it depends on the person if they want to do their history, right? Mm -hmm. To know where that sound exactly came from. It's like the DJ and MC structure is from uh, like the, the reggae artist. Mm -hmm. If you go all the way back to the like late 70s. Soundboy team. Yeah. 
Exactly. What were they doing? They're playing the rhythm of dub play and managers chatting on the mic. Mm-hmm. Like Admiral Brayley, Ninja Man, Jeez. Beanie Man, them mm-hmm. guys. That's where it's from. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of people would know that. They just think, yeah, MC, DJ, yeah, just do your thing. But if you go, I think the beauty of it now, there's no excuse. We've got stuff like YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can type it in and just watch these guys back in Jamaica mm-hmm. doing their thing. And you'd be like, oh my God, that's what I do. That's what mm-hmm. we're doing. Right, them man there, they started that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's crazy, obviously, with the internet age coming in, more things are documented now, the last five years or whatever. You can go and check the YouTube and see things, you know, social media, whatever. Like, you guys emerged at the beginning of the century. We're talking year 2000, around that time, a little bit before, and you lot was flamesing back then. Let's just say, Oxide, the producer, you was inspiring, and like a lot of people rated your production. Neutrino, obviously, you were the MC, the sweet boy. The mm. girls loved you. I'm not saying they don't yeah. love you anymore, <laughs> but obviously, that's when you guys were peaking at that time. Yeah. Like, kind of break down to sort of people that maybe don't know, or maybe they, for whatever reason, they don't know what was so solid and what did it mean to the industry at the time? So solid was a group of friends that, you know, said, Let's get together and we enjoy music and and I guess have fun with it. Not realizing the impact that we had of taking music from the streets and going into the charts straight in at number one. Mm-hmm. With, you know, out kind of doing anything in the such like, all right, we're gonna target the charts and go there. It just happened. And I think that has probably never been done before because back then, if you wanted to, you know, be successful and hit the national charts, a lot of people would have to go to like music school, stage school, be musically trained. And this is just a raw sound that we've made off a pirate radio station and it's gone straight into the charts. So it gave a generation sitting down in their bedrooms or their living rooms on television going, oh, I could do that. That could be me. I can vision myself up because before that, there weren't none of that. You, you weren't sitting in your TV thinking, oh, I want to do that because it's, it's not accessible. But seeing us, Soul Solid, do that, it gave so many people inspiration to think, oh, music, I'm going to do music because they can do it, I can do it. It was a raw sound and nothing like it had been seen before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people compared Soul Solid to the UK version of the Wu-Tang. You know what I mean? It was big guys. I mean, you came into the game quickly and hit the top of the charts and big record deals as well. Do you know what I'm saying? I think like what was important about you guys as being a part, an integral part of So Solid as well, is you guys had your own deal aside from So yeah. Solid. You signed with Warner, right? Yeah, East West, you, yeah. East West Warner. You guys had a big record deal. And yeah. I talked to us about that, man. Like you're with the crew and then you sign a big record deal on the side of that as well. How was that for you, Oxide? How would you kind of break down that? Um, it was just kind of walking into unknown a little bit, you know. We've been doing pirate radio and doing it because we enjoy it, and then all of a sudden we're with these big corporate company um, that are just, I don't know, maybe opening avenues that you never would have been able to open on your own. Like we were kind of selling white labels, vinyl, um, and, you know, these, these guys were talking about albums and CDs, and, you know, so it's, it was quite a learning learning curve for us, you know, going from Pirate Radio into um, Warner Brothers, but it was a really good label, you know, they really understood us and they really allowed us to push our vision and our kind of 
art almost you know like they they wasn't trying to mold us like right you guys we want you to wear this or do this speak like that and um i think the impact that it had back then for us and so solid you know there wasn't as many media outlets as there is now so when you had success back then people really you know you become a bit of a household name like everyone knew about it you had top of the pops you had like five four or five tv channels back then you know you didn't have internet and um same with radio you just had you know your main stations your pirate radio stations so if you were big around that era everybody knew about it across the country and that was quite weird for us gigging up the country and then you know Nooch especially just being mobbed and not being able to just live normal life all of a sudden you know it's kind of strange now they talk about as a creative like putting in the hours and becoming better as a dj presenter myself you know, like my journey of like being in the bedroom and learning how to DJ and then all of a sudden getting a lot better and then getting on radio and then getting more opportunities and getting paid. So we're talking about being in your bedroom, doing something that you love to then maybe getting paid. At, at the beginning, you might be getting paid £100 to play for an hour. Then you're getting paid £200. Then you're getting paid 500 Then you see the big brands coming involved and you're getting paid thousands. Like for So we're talking about a bit of a rags to riches story. And when it comes to you lot, the top of the century as like trailblazers, like... A lot of things lead back to Oxide Neutrino, So Solid Crew. Like you guys went from rags to riches. Like how do you manage that situation? Independent, white labels, pirate radio, signing to a major, blowing up massive, a lot of money on your lap. And you know, with more money comes more problems. Managing the money and also keeping like sort of the scoundrels off your back. You know what I'm saying? So how do you manage that rags to riches transition? How did you manage it? for anyone that's trying to think about it as a new artist coming in right about now, Neutrino? <laughs> um, do you know what? I, at a young age, seeing like mad amounts of money when we were like 17, 18, it's life-changing money as well. I think it's important if you've got the right people around you, surrounding you to, I guess, kind of keep you grounded. But at the same time, there's there's no harm in having fun. I think at that age, you've quite, you have to live your life. You can't, you know, wait till you're like 60 or 70 and then be like, yeah, I'm going to go and do this. It's probably a bit too late by then. So live life, enjoy, you know, enjoy your money. And I don't, don't want to, like, I'm not going to sit and preach and be like, oh, you know what? You should invest it in that. You should do this and that because some people just don't want to do that. People want to enjoy their life and have a good time. And that's, yeah, just so finding a balance, like part of the thing yeah. with, with us and so solid was like the crystal the tts the mm -hmm. i was quite boring within everyone i was quite sensible but like we said um the other day in the interview it wouldn't be the same if you had like six projos driving down the road mm -hmm. you know like the whole image of everything was amplifies of, yeah it's yeah. what what makes it exciting and mm -hmm. everyone literally was you know doing their thing and it was just real you know <laughs> like everyone just having a good time and you could see it you know you could see it Sometimes it can be the problem though, like when artists get these deals and they see a lot more money than they usually had, it's managing like that new amount of money you have, not yeah. overspending. All of a sudden you're different to everyone around you. Yeah, you get know? me. And yeah. that difference and everyone to everyone around you, like yeah. maybe brings a lot of problems with it. Like yeah. that's what I'm saying. Mm. Navigating from the rags to the riches, like how do you make sure that your money's protected? Like whether it's accountants and maybe it's like people, the wrong people coming around you, trying to like sort of, you know, sponge the money off mm. you or maybe even some gangster-ish happening do you know what I'm saying mm. how do you manage that side of things I don't think you really can unless you 
know people that have money that have had money and a lot older than you that can kind of give you that advice there not much you can do because mm -hmm. there are going to be leeches even you get shady accountants shady managers mm -hmm. like if you have no experience within the industry you know what are you going to do i think it's to on the on the artist to kind of maybe research and see what's what and you know try and protect yourself as best as you can but mm. Like I said, it's a, that's a difficult, difficult, difficult situation right there. There's no real win. Yeah. There's no real win. You might as well enjoy it, especially when you're young, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, the most sensible thing you can do is try and buy a house and mm. invest in things that are maybe going to make you money. But when you're young, really, unless you've got the people around you to kind of navigate you into doing that, it's hard to just be like, well, I'm going to do this or do that, you know? And you want your people around you. Like I remember going shopping and thinking, I can buy anything I want. But then I'm with someone who can't. So then you're buying them something or, mm -hmm. you know, and then it starts changing relationships. And Because yeah, if you don't buy them something, then they're going to be like, right, this man's got money. Yeah. But then if you're buying him, you got to buy it. Then the next man and then the next. And, and then, then someone might come along and be your <laughs> friend. You're thinking, are you my friend? Or are you just trying to uh -huh. be here for the ride? It, like... There's almost not really a win in that situation. You see what I'm saying? But Especially it, it kind of like you kind of come out of it knowing who your real friends are, mm -hmm. and you'll find that you'll have a small amount of true friends. Like mm -hmm. you probably can count on one hand that you you be you be kind of glad you actually it's weeded out. You know everyone, and it's down to this core. It's why they say more money, more problems, isn't it? Yeah. Like more money, more problems. Like flipping, you get more money, you got to spend more money. But I feel like uh, the older I get. And obviously, when you're younger, it's different. But although I get, I feel like you're, it's within your kind of best interest to maybe play down the money you've got. Because mm. if people think that you've got less money, there's not so much of a problem. Mm. You're not expected to pay. Mm. That goes for your relationship with your other half. Mm. That goes for your friendship circles. That goes with your parents. That goes with just generally. If people think you've got less money, they ain't going to expect you to pay. They might even pay for you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, there's that dynamic it's, as, you know, well. as well. It's living within your means. Mm -hmm. So... You know, if you, say if you, if you give someone a million pound, like just right now here, here and then, they might think, right, I'm rich. I'm that's it. I made you not. That million ain't gonna last long. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna buy a house and then if you wanted to live off that for the rest of your life, it's it's pretty pretty hard to do that. But because mm -hmm. it's that lump sum in one go, you're thinking, right, I'm rich. I, I've made it. I've done it. But if you live within your means, imagine you only spend out of that million like ten grand a year. Then yes, yeah, doable. Mm -hmm. But can you live on ten grand a year? Mm -hmm. I just want to put something on record like you lot when did you sign your deal with East West Atlantic uh, East West Warner 2000 Guess, yeah. it, it was either back end of 99 or start of 2000 yeah. okay probably yes beginning of 2000 would yeah. you say that the deal that you signed was a big deal would you say it was a big deal yeah. a big yeah, it's huge man. it's a huge deal yeah. now you said it was a huge deal yeah like, let's just say it was a medium deal yeah now a medium deal back then was probably bigger than most of your deals now. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So how did you guys manage to deal with like, what What would you advise like is some good things to do with, let's just like focus on the, the, the finances of side of things. What, what are some good things for new artists to do with their money when they get a big deal, would you say? Travel, go see the world. Yeah. That will open your horizons, will mature you as well. Go see how other people live. Even go to the poor parts of certain countries and see how people are living it will humble you as well. Mm -hmm. But I think, I just think that's advice for anyone in the world is just to travel and make sure you're a better person. Mm -hmm. 
not so stuck in one place and thinking, right, this is it, this is my life and this is all we do. No, go travel, spend your money. You echo that, Oxai? Yeah, I think like, I think generally everyone's learned over the last few years that living life's more important than money and like we're going back to, it's a real hard situation. There's no real win. You could say, oh yeah, buy a property, but you know, over the next little while, property looks like it's probably coming down. <laughs> so you could buy a house for 300 grand and then it's worth 200 grand next year. Mm-hmm. You've lost 100 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real, you know, some, even though some people see it, say it's silly, like even buying things like Rolexes and gold, then things hold their value, you know what I mean? I've had gold chains that I've sold years down the line after I bought them that were worth more than I paid for them. So that turned out to be a good investment, but no one would really look at it and think, yeah, buy a gold chain or a Rolex or, you know. Mm-hmm. So sometimes them things can work, obviously. Um, yeah, there's no real set book, you know. It depends what kind of era you're in, in the financial kind of curves, as it were. We're kind of talking about being students of the game, which I think, I love being a student of the game. I don't know how much of like, you guys feel that you guys are students of the game. How much of a comparison do you see in what's happening in this UK, inverted commas, urban music scene at the moment, and what was going on back at the turn of the century and the garage days? I think the, I think this happens with every, every medium to say that where if there's something negative going on we'll try attach to the in this case music mm-hmm. so we got that there was a rise in gun crime at the time when garage was around so because there was a rise in gun crime you're gonna attract certain people to certain raves they're not necessarily there for garage they're just probably there for the hype and then if they've got beef with someone else and you know it kicks off and there's shootings but that reflects on what was going on within the country at the time the rising gun crime so you kind of get made the scapegoat garage associated with that and it's an easy target um i guess that's kind of happening now with music as well what, you, what we're seeing in charts with the urban music um like with knife crime and stuff like that you know attaching the genre of music. Um, I don't know, yeah. It's, it's quite hard in the sense that the industries are so different now, you know. Mm. There's a lot more physical sales back then and now it's more being seen to doing well. And like, you know, I can't really speak for these artists, but I don't know if they're financially, you know, making good money, even if they're successful, if that makes sense. Like, I'd say there's a lot more opportunities now in, you know, getting sponsors and making money in other avenues but of physical sales of music I wouldn't really say the two are you know comparable so I don't know I guess same as before you need to be quite entrepreneurial and you know find your lane and push through you know the business side of music and I guess that can be done now the same way that it was done back then but just in a bit of a different way. Coming through the garage era obviously pirate radio was a big part of that a lot of people nowadays might not even be able to get their head around what pirate radio is even. <laughs> pirate radio was underground, yes, but it was ungoverned and it was not commercial. And the reason why it's called pirate is because it was inverted commas illegal. So there was a governing body called the DTI that used to come around to sort of try and shut down the pirate radio stations. That means 
the DJs, the MCs might find themselves sitting in a cell for a few days and everything gets confiscated at the studio, the equipment, studio get locked down, radio station get locked off, you know what I'm saying? Don't have to deal with that nowadays. Everything's legitimized, it's all, you know what I'm saying, digital radio stations, like community radio stations and stuff. What was your encounters like with the DTI? Because the DTI <laughs> used to roll with the police yeah. and they could be quite aggressive. Yeah, um, do you know what we? So when we were on the Light FM, um, myself, Mega, and Carlton set that up, Mister C. Um, so we were basically like engineering the station, and the way we'd had the station set up was so if the the transmitter went off, we'd know about it. And could go up to the block to see if anyone was trying to teeth the transmitter because a lot of pirate pirates like thief your transmitter or if it's DTI. But how we would work with the DTI was we'd get up on the roof and they'd be up there and they'd be taking the transmitter and they'd just be like, "How you guys doing?" Yep, and just being polite and having kind of like an an informal relationship where you acknowledge they're just doing their job and you leave them alone. And as long as you leave them alone it's fine, they'll just come and take your transmitter every like two weeks. Mm -hmm. They won't boom off your studio. They won't take the equipment and the records. That's what you don't want happening. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people made that mistake with being aggressive for the D with the DTI, like taking the transmitter back off of them, roughing them up. That's when they come back next week with the police. They take your studio, take your records, take all your equipment, and then you are locked off. Mm -hmm. You probably won't be able to come back on that frequency again as that station because you know, you've, you've mashed them up. So it's just being sensible about the whole situation and that's what we did. Just, yeah. I feel like you spoke about it a little bit on Dilemma 2000, 2.0, which was released yeah, yeah, in 2018. Yeah. So you definitely yeah. touched on that. What people don't realise as well, back then, if they took your records, that was your collection, it weren't digital, it was actually physical. Your record collection's done, I mean, you, you're really in the mud. You can't bounce back as quick and know like you might not be able to get back the same vinyl, limited press, all that kind of stuff. How did you like sort of navigate around that dynamic oxide being the DJ and like maybe going on pirate radio stations and thinking like, I'm bringing all my records here and I could lose all this stuff? Yeah, it was always a risk that we knew about. Like when, when we knew that, you know, you kind of get a feeling when things were on top a little bit. And so we'd keep the records in a different room. I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently they could only take stuff that was in the actual room of the transmitter. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one way, but it was literally just a risk, you know, like everything we did was risk. So it was no, no different from a normal day, you know what I mean, taking risk. And yeah. You've got to move around as well, different studios. You can't stay in the same place all the time. And I think that's more to do with if you get complaints, if there's noise complaints and stuff. Mm. So you want to try your best to find somewhere where you're not, bothering people and then like the best place is like kind of what we ended up doing was a unit mm -hmm. and you just can stay there indefinitely because there's no one complaining about noise and like going back you're not touching or mashing up the dti mm -hmm. so you're just there and like, that's cool one of the blocks we were in we had um the guy who'd come around from the council <laughs> to let you know that people were complaining about the noise he was actually a dj on the station <laughs> so little links like that help as well I feel like you guys kind of had like maybe a good deal and a good relationship with the DTI because I've heard stories that like, you know, 
Not even people acting too aggressive with them, but the DTI mm. going on wicked. But you guys were in South, so I don't know if the yeah. DTI was different in like West London, but East London, you saying, North like, London. Even things like swearing and yeah. adverts and like things yeah. were run professionally, like no swearing yeah. before nine, ten o'clock. So yeah. you feel like because the radio was run very professional. What's the name of the radio station you guys were running? The Light FM. The Light FM. And yeah, Supreme yeah, of course, FM of course, as well. Of course, of course. Supreme the FM first. Iconic. Delight, so when yeah. you guys were running that, you was running it like it was legal. So you felt like they went a bit more lighter on you when it came yeah. to them coming to shut down stuff. Yeah, like we purposely picked like the 103 frequency because there weren't any major like stations near it to mm -hmm. bleed into because mm -hmm. there's that as well if you start bleeding into like a legit like national station they're yeah, coming for you like that you're 100.1 and kisses on 100 <laughs> 100 yeah like, <laughs> you're in big trouble yeah. if you're broadcasting next to Heathrow Airport yeah. and you're going into their frequency same thing they'll come and take yeah. you out within yeah. a matter of hours maybe so like Delight FM being an iconic radio station that has been spoken about like i know some people might have heard of it a lot of people would have heard of it maybe some people might not have heard of it man paint a picture of exactly what delight fm was in this pirate radio landscape at the time there was it's hard to even put down to one because there was we was always using different tower blocks it wasn't necessarily just one same with supreme fm um but always i don't know start off um, lifts always smell like piss go upstairs go into a house it's always rubbish everywhere not done up like writing on the wall kind of things to advertise raves that are going on um, could have DJ set up on crates broken radio like could be in a kitchen could be you know it's just like make do just being on air for any any way possible um and just never clean and glossy, you know? The epitome of DIY and organic, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the most independent way one could regulate like things. But at the same time, there were shady radio owners and the DJs and stuff had to pay subs to go on the radio. So it was a business. But like you could be risking your life certain times. You don't know who's going to roll up in the, in the station. If there's like an op situation, like, you know what I'm saying? A rival from an ex-ends might want to shut down a radio station. So there was a lot of politics involved in Pirate Radio, just in case you thought it was all lovely, greasy, but lovely on the other side of things. How do you feel like you guys would have been navigating through this music industry now without Pirate Radio? That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd, you'd be the social medias, you know? Yeah, yeah just YouTube channel. Um, yeah. I think we'd be showcasing what we've got. Yeah, definitely be on a YouTube channel and just kind of kind of run it like how what we were doing on Pirates. So we'd have our show, you know, maybe upload once a week, um, just showcasing our talent and then, yeah, just pushing new music out, out there. So like Consistency is the key. Always yeah. has been, always will be. And, you know, for the younger generation trying to get into it now, like you're never going to see results and you and a few friends can get together like, yeah, let's do this. We're going to run a record label and half your friends will give up within a month, two months. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to surround yourself with people that have got the same drive and determination and love for it to just keep doing it. Like, like Nooch mentioned earlier, there was never the vision of where we took things to. There wasn't that goal. It was just literally the enjoyment. Like we go down to pirate radio on christmas day in the evening to do the set like that it was enjoyment we loved mm -hmm. it like you know what i mean new year's eve like and you know that love ended up you know becoming something but 
you know it took a bit of time to and consistency like you know to create enough noise to you know be successful straight up the conversations on site sk vibe maker in the building trying to give as much expert conversation and intel as much as i can and of course we've got some some big guys in the building some veterans have a lot of history in this music thing an integral part of so solid oxide and neutrino dj mc duo these guys have had major label deals they've had number ones in the country they've had girls swarming after them they've been popping out here so they've got intel do you know what i'm saying now when we listen to any of your music across your discography we will hear the garage as the garage sound the garage production as the backbone um, do you think it is a a good or a bad thing? I feel like I know the answer to this, what you're going to say, but do you feel like it's a good or a bad thing? Because many artists have sort of debated about this, rooting yourself in one genre. I don't, if you if you actually listen to our sound, it's not, yeah, like you're saying, the backbone is garage, as in the, the, the I guess, the BPM and kind of like the BPM. But we we take sounds from everywhere. If you listen to our music, um, there's sounds from everywhere, like heavily influenced from like 80 synth stuff to um, like, the, the, like going back to like I was saying, like the reggae artist as well. Um, there's, there's just, yeah, so many flavors in there. Um, but yeah, Ox, I wouldn't say like Ox, Ox is visionary and, you know, someone who goes outside the box, mm -hmm. like look at compared to, let's say, Bound for the Reload to rap this, mm -hmm. you know, two completely different tracks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rap this kind of breaking, um, breaking boundaries, like no one kind of attempted to do that and then put it into the charts. I remember mm -hmm. even the label weren't too sure about rap this mm -hmm. and said to us, we don't know about this. And we're like, no, 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 you're putting it out there. Rap you this is crazy. Yeah. Right, this is actually one of my favorite so solid like i know it's you guys but i like it's one of my so solid team under the so solid banner tracks that beat was crazy and you was going mad on that as well yeah. there was a diss in there innit? Yeah. you was definitely going at some pop guys <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that was mad like the radar I, I don't think there was a proper radio edit and i actually done a clean edit to play in commercial places with the instrumental yeah. so that's how you know i went in you know what i'm saying the vocal only recently has gone up there yeah, we pushed for two steps ahead to the album to, to it, yeah. get onto all the kind of online platforms, and there was only rap this instrumental, I think, on there for ages. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about you guys. You know, the backbone of your sound is garage. You sprinkle like loads of other stuff in there. The reason why I ask this is because over the years, there's always been a debate amongst artists. Like, if they change their sound too much, are they selling out? You know what I mean? So yeah, you know what I think that's that's a problem with this country where artists are kind of sometimes forced because they're thinking the genre of music that they're making is not necessarily turning over the cells and they're not making money. And we had an era where a lot of the grime guys went down the pop route and made n so much money from it, mm -hmm. you know, and I guess it pays the bills and, you know, you can't become financially stable. But then the downside to that is that you kind of get caught up in that pop genre and people don't look at your back catalogue and what you've done. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are a true musician, that will piss you off because you're like, well, 
what about the the kind of real stuff I did? Mm-hmm. And people were like, no, we only know you for the pop, you know, stuff that you did. But I mean, it's it, I get it. It's hard. Like sometimes in, in this industry, it's hard to make money, and sometimes you've got to do things that you probably necessarily don't want to do and compromise your sound. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. See, there's two sides to it because if you yeah. stay rooted in the sound and the, and the genre dies you kind of die with it yeah. but then you also get criticized for like being dynamic and jumping yeah. on different sounds mm. you yeah. know what i mean now oxide you as the producer how do you go in like when you're making the beats and stuff like, have you got a particular sound in mind or do you stay in a do you i don't want to like box you in but do you feel like you have to stay in a certain lane if you experiment too much it's like my fans or people that what they know me for ain't gonna go with this yeah i think it's finding the balance you know like I make all kind of different genres of music and, you know, I might have a week or two where I'm back in the garage and I'm enjoying it. And then next week I make more current stuff and, you know, more dance stuff, more non-dance stuff. And I think just boiling down to the original factors of enjoying it, trying to, what we did back then, which was hearing stuff that's out there, you like elements of it. And so you put your own spin on it to sometimes do that with new music as well if you actually like it and enjoy it just not overthink it you know mm-hmm. like the majority of the music i make now it doesn't get released i just enjoy making it and um maybe one day people get to hear it but um i think you just need to treat music what it is of just the enjoyment of making it you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um you know the best music will kind of come through eventually i guess I think it's with time times like this now where you do have social media and the like like YouTube and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you can kind of stick to your genre now and just do it because you're going to reach the fans across the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know years and years ago, it was if you if you didn't have a label, then you you can't get out to no one. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just like kind of stuck in one place. Straight. So I think it, yeah, like definitely it's a lot easier now to get that genre and sustain it with like the, the world is you know at your fingertips essentially we've had quite a few exciting sub-genres in this uk architecture over here we've been spoilt man like we've got the uk jaw thing popping at the moment like i said we've had like the afro wave thing we've had like crime we've had dubstep we had funky house before all of those was garage which was a pivotal era you could say what would you say were the years like that the peak garage years the peak garage era commercially Whichever way you want to call it. Commercially, two, well, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. So you say 99 to 2003. Yeah. And before that, there was definitely the underground team, oh, yeah. the white labels, the yeah. pirate radio yeah. from like maybe like early 90s, right? Yeah. Let's talk about the garage era, man. How would you paint a picture to somebody that is like maybe, maybe 18 or maybe 15 now, try and paint a picture of this peak time in the garage era from like the early 90s to the early noughties uh good music and music that could appeal to everyone so there was there'd be a tune out there for you if you went clubbing people were dressing up in their best garbs you know people looked the part very smart uh shirts trousers shoes uh girls in dresses and that it was it was a good time uh champagne um yeah 
it was a it was a nice time to go clubbing and raving. White labels, Soundboy yeah. Ting, yeah. Pirate Radio, yeah. of course, and a lot of raves. You know, Garage Garage was there before we kind of come and put our sprinkle on it, as it were. Um, so there's a lot of people to kind of big up for that garage sound, that original kind of swinging, which I guess came off the kind of house scene. I don't want to get, I don't want to speak wrong on it, you know. Like people obviously feel like, you know, there's people that that helped develop the sound originally. That I don't want to forget names, but you know, we kind of can only talk about our influence within that. You know what I mean? But there was people that had created this kind of swinging garage, vocal chops, sound, and then we'd kind of taken it down the darker route, which Newt said, with our kind of jungle influences, just more baseline orientated, you know what I mean? And just the word garage, it just represented so much more to us than just one sound, which, you know, garage is, if that makes sense. All the all the subgenres that you mentioned, dubstep, you know, could have been influenced by like a dilemma or, you know, some of the grind beats by Dilemma or Rap Dis or Ono oh and, you know, the the funky sound, you know, Wookie was kind of doing slight stuff like that you know like we've kind of come across the years and been able to play all those sounds within our garage sets because they all kind of mold within that garage sound and it's just such a it's become such a broad term garage you know um as a sound definitely before the garage era there was like hardcore and it was like drum and bass mm -hmm. And it was a big scene amongst that as well. Would you say that the baton was passed on from those guys much to the garage scene? Like, or did you feel like there was a baton passed to you? Like any gems, like any like of the olders from that scene saying like, you know, we've experienced this and like, you're going to experience it too. And this is how you should deal with it. And like, was there any of that? <laughs> Close the door, man. <laughs> you ain't coming in. Yeah, that was that was what we we got within. You feel scene. like it was a closed door? Oh yeah, massively. 100%. 100%. That's, that's how all the up with the finger and all those. That was Nooch outletting all the stuff that we were yeah. facing. We we come through as like young and fresh, and like Ox was saying, the scene was already there. Mm -hmm. So when we kind of put our spin on on the garage sound, there was an older generation within that scene that said nope and tried to black what they did blacklist mm -hmm. our music within the scene telling mm -hmm. DJs not to play this track or that track. And Real talk, yeah? Yeah. From like carnival days, carnival this, was, there was yeah. signs up, don't play Bound for the Reload, don't smoke the reefer and... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so what, this is why, which pushed us even more, gave us more of a drive because we weren't getting booked within the scene because mm -hmm. the promoters wouldn't book us because of Oh, don't book these guys so you know what we're putting our own rave why do you feel like they didn't want to book you aside from like what what because you was young and fresh or what did they feel like you was troublesome or what was it it's got to be more to it man <sighs> yeah it's either the you know like these were very girls nice upmarket raves you know and then you've got this wave of not so upmarket coming into this so they're probably like nah mate we don't want all that you know within our Finn. Also, you know they're paying their bills with this thing they they've got, so they're in control of it. You know. So they was trying to kind of block the new wave that's coming through. Yeah. And I know, yeah, yeah, when you made up middle finger and that, like you might have had particular people in mind that you was talking to. Yeah. Now I don't know if you want to share like any of the particular people you were talking to when you was really thinking about like right, you might have been trying to block <laughs> us. 
we've we've said it so many times in the past. So it's not really to to bring it back up because it is what it is at the time. So if people want to go and do you know their research, I'd say it on wrap this. And you have know, you reconciled? Yeah, we reconciled with a lot of people. Well, mostly everyone in the scene that kind of said, "Oh, do you know what? Um, you guys are kind of you know you're not coming through." And they've owned up and said, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Um, but that made us bigger. That made us, like I said, it gave us the drive to push harder, like do our own pirate radio station, our own raves, our own label, um, make more tunes, like taking over and answer. All right, you don't want to do that? Watch this. Mm-hmm. To the point where you can't stop it now. Mm-hmm. You've created a monster and the monster's loose, mm-hmm. and look what the monster's done the damage. And that's mm-hmm. it, like, you gotta sit back and say, damn. And I, I say that for anyone that's older, you should never, always embrace the youth, because they're the next generation coming Always through. embrace the youth? Well, yeah, you gotta guide them, because there's certain mistakes that we made, that if the, the older generation would've, you know, took us aside and said, listen, don't do this, don't do that, this is out. You know, we could've had a better journey. Mm-hmm. But this is what I'm saying, embrace them, mold them, and give them advice, and say, listen, don't, step back and be like, no, they're not coming through, not because they would do their own thing and outdo you, but at the same time, might cause a bit of damage here and there where mm-hmm. you can kind of keep them on the, you know, the straight path. Straight. Now, Mega sat in the same chair and like had a conversation about the rise and fall of So Solid. Now, it was a grand opening and somewhat of a grand closing, many might say. What would you say were some of the like key factors in the fall of So Solid because the heights were lofty but then the drop like by the time the second album came out and slightly passed out wasn't of the same levels of like before it's a complex one man there's Mm. so many different elements of why that happened but the main one being is that the media the people like I don't want to wind them up in that but you know people like The Sun and people like that they would build us up and you know we'd have like a boat party and they'd be putting in there like yeah booze crews and you know kind of building up the fin and then touching back on the violence that was surrounding the sound there was a lot of people representing the name so solid so you know if you had like a normal group you'd have three or four people if everyone did one thing wrong you'd have three or four headlines but when you got 30 people representing the name and the press are on you looking for dirt there's a lot of if everyone doesn't one mistake there's a lot of headlines you know mm-hmm. and there were certain things that happened without naming particular incidents that was giving them fuel to be able to keep writing headlines to the point of us actually getting banned by police from performing like across the country for three or four years which basically was enough to you know drag the carpet from underneath us you know what I mean all, all our avenues of everything we've been doing they'd kind of kept us away from it long enough to keep us down essentially how do you kind of deal with that because essentially like we're so solid we're talking about the rise and fall but every single artist experiences a climb 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 a peak and it may be like a dip like you can't stay peaking forever it doesn't matter who you are Michael Jackson flipping doesn't matter if you're Bob Marley or Elvis Presley, Madonna, Rihanna, Beyonce, you cannot stay at the peak forever. So how do you guys deal with lofty heights 
and then maybe not being at the lofty heights anymore how do you deal with that as artists and as humans i think in in our case we're quite lucky in that we we are a live act so i think when we went to our peak I you know what to be honest we we did get to the peak but we were still at the peak when we got like like the back um, blacklisting and all of that yeah, yeah so we were still we at that peak really we didn't decline. like like our last hit was a top 10 mm -hmm. and so it was still it was that's what i mean it was still going so from that peak was literally like a fall off of everest it was boom right to the ground there's nothing there's no work no you can't play anywhere because you are literally blacklisted um so it, it's climbing back up that mountain again which we did we we managed to come through when i think dubstep was um popping so what a lot of these underground dubstep clubs did have a, like a kind of like a slot with garage coming in and out so the promoter started booking us so we we're going into these dubstep raves and playing a bit of dubstep but mainly garage and you know going off that was around probably 2006 7 so we slowly started to climb back up and then garage started to come back around a new generation started listening to garage mm -hmm. And it started to peak again, and it mm. it stayed. It hasn't. We're not like at the heights of mm -hmm. what we were back mm -hmm. in the the noughties, but it stayed at a nice level for like, mm -hmm. like the last 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, being a live act helped so much. Mm -hmm. um, and garage coming back around again to a mm -hmm. new generation. So there's an emphasis, man. Like some some artists and a lot of people misunderstand this about the live performance. Because on one side of things, there's charting success, and on the other side, there's being a, an artist that can tour and perform live. Yeah. If you can do neither, if you're if you're not charting and peaking like you was before, and you haven't got, you're not a live act. It's a mess for you. But we're definitely focusing on the fact in the importance of being a live act. How would you kind of break that down to like sort of artists that feel like they're going to be peaking all the time and maybe don't sort of focus on their live performance, Oxide? It's so important, man. We see acts now where they come through and they might get big with a song and you can tell that they're not like trained, as it were, to hold a crowd. And um, obviously we've learned over the years and through Pirate, we learned the music side of it. And over the years, we've learned the kind of like the stage presence and things like that. But it's so important, like, to be a live act. And, you know, we've really had to evolve over the years. Like, when we come in the dubstep days, our sets were more dubstep mixed with a bit of garage and then bassline and, you know, all these sub-genres. And you just need to, I don't know, adapt your sets to, like, what's popular and bring different elements and genres when you're performing. Like, you see a lot of younger generation they'll come out and they just do their songs and it's all quite i don't know if predictable is the right word but it's not really as creative as it could be there's a lot more you know ways that they can make their sets interesting so just try and focus on that and try and solidify yourself as like a performer as well as an artist you know the rise and fall within the music industry um is a real thing the rise and fall the rags to riches the rags to riches the rise and fall like, aside from being able to adapt to maybe certain things, how does one keep their sanity? Because there are a few artists that have been quite vocal on social media about, you know, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You see the front of things and you think it's all rosy. You see the artists with, like, the jewellery, the cars, and maybe, like, the, the things that look nice. But you don't necessarily know the battles that's going on inside the artists. 
like maybe with the label or just battling with just like trying to live up to appearances when things ain't maybe what they were before just trying to just generally live up to appearances how do you keep your your sanity straight i think it's trying to balance your work life with say like your home life and social and stuff and i think obviously you know you, you want to work hard but there has to be a point where you have to say to yourself look you know what? i need to just take a little step back and just have some me time because you end up burning out we've been there before we were doing when, when bound for the reload we had to, to promotional tour to you know get the single into the charts we were doing performing at schools so in the daytime we do like two or three schools in a day and then at night time we'll be doing clubs and we'll be doing that for like a month straight and at one point we were just like i remember i was like to ox you know what i'm not doing this this is i need to sleep i need to just i can't because i remember I, I snapped at someone and that's not like me i'm not like that and the person was like and i just switched on them but it's because I was mentally drained, like not looking after, you know, me, my health. So sometimes you just got to say, you know what, take a step back, chill out for a bit and then come back. The mental health thing is a big thing. It's massive. It is like, um, is therapy or therapists around you, is that a thing? I don't think for us, yeah. but I think obviously there's a lot of support out there these days. Mm. Um, but there's no, that's, just proper modern life at the moment of like people come out and I reckon a lot of the artists at the moment they're making I don't know maybe a lot a lot of people think they're doing better than they are financially and it's a lot of pressure on them to look like they're doing well yeah. and like we all know it's expensive to live these days you know mm -hmm. like I remember at the height of the career I had a mortgage and I was paying about two two and a half grand a month for my studio so my outgoings was like five grand a month nearly on just the normal you know but before you've bought any clothes or anything and eventually your your spending is gonna like you're not gonna be earning as much as your bills mm -hmm. so there'll have to be some kind of reality check on you know what you've been thrown into to what life becomes and like Nuke said you have to balance family life and start appreciating the simple things in life because all the you know the nice clothes and all that you realize after a while that it's not like i've had prada jackets that i've never worn and i've got them sitting in my wardrobe and there was a era where i just started selling all this stuff because i'm just like why do i need this mm -hmm. like, i could have the same coat from you know somewhere that's not that that's not prada for the same thing so we're probably a bit more sensible now we're, well we are a lot more sensible now with our yeah. money and you have to live like that man and you have good months, you have bad months, and if you're in the music industry for a long time, you have to live within your means, mm. not like, you know, have a good month and think, right, well, I'm gonna buy this car, and then the car's a four liter, and you you can't afford it in a mm -hmm. year's time, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you gotta start making sensible moves, and, you know, start thinking of your family, and trying to have as longevity as possible, you know? Villa Talks. Yeah. The conversations on site, SK Vibe Maker, Oxide and Neutrino in the building. Now you are a maestro when it comes to production. Let's not get it twisted, Oxide. You know what I'm saying? It's mad. <laughs> I mean, new producers in the game, give them some game. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are the startup tools? What do you use? What have you found to be some of your most valuable tools when you're getting busy in the room by yourself producing? Um, first of all, project your ears, because I've had, like I can't hear treble and bass in my right ear. And that's 
if you're a producer, you'll understand how kind of heartbreaking that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's step one. Step two is just balance working hard with your health. Because it got to a point with me where you're just, you don't care about anything else apart from making music and you just, you can spend your whole existence making music and you mm-hmm. have to find that balance of living life, being healthy, and making music like don't get me wrong when you're young like putting the hours and stay up all night making music and get ahead of people that are your competition and all the rest of it mm-hmm. but there's so much they'll already know but there's so much information out there for them on youtube tutorials like follow people that have been in the industry for a while and they'll show you plugins that you should be using and shouldn't be using and don't be don't get caught up in thinking that you need to buy everything like I kind of the last year or so had to I don't know you can end up with like 10 different compressors you don't need 10 different compressors you've got a compressor with your door whether it be Cubase Logic or any of these new ones they're all designed to have everything you need kind of within them and you get sucked into all these adverts that come online thinking that you need all these plugins that can build up a lot you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah just try and strip it back like obviously invest but just don't go too far of it and same with making the music just try and balance your health a little bit with working hard what's been the most valuable piece of hardware that you've purchased and why um there's a there's a few like obviously the main thing these days being the computer i've got um a pc built because i was sick of i love apple products but it's like every two three years it kind of runs out of um what's the word like connectivity with things and they kind of age quite quickly whereas i thought you know building a pc i can keep upgrading components mm-hmm. within the pc but obviously um it's less portable just like a desktop thing rather than a laptop um good speakers are really important but just learning a pair of speakers and keeping with them um i'd say they're probably the two main Two main things. Straight up. Moving on to you, Neutrino. Yeah. What do you like or love about these new MCs in the game? Um, I, do you know what? I don't really listen to what's like the new stuff, I guess, because it's how I see it, it's kind of for a younger generation. Um, and I can't really connect with it, you know, what they're saying and what they're doing. I do get it. Um, but just di- different eras for for different MCs. I mean, there's been an era within, within how long ago are we going back? Like, I think there was like a lyrical era where talent was top notch, mm-hmm. which is what I like. But I think now it's more, it's not as lyrical as it was back then. But then saying that when our stuff, like the garage wasn't really about lyrics anyway, it was mm-hmm. more about melodic and mm-hmm. kind of- Styly. Yeah, styly and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I mean, each generation will be different, and you know, there's pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. What's the future of So Solid Man? Are you guys still involved? Yeah, we're still involved. We still um, like I'm show sure. last weekend in Manchester. Yeah, with um, majority of the So Solid guys. Um, like obviously, we do our own thing uh, every weekend, but you'll catch us now and again with certain members of So Solid mm-hmm. performing. So, how did you guys meet, man? We, well, us too. Yeah, uh, Pirate Radio, Supreme FM. So I'm, yeah, I'm actually from West London, and so all the the pirates was in the South. So, 
um, that was kind of my connection to Neutrino and So Solid and the music. That was the kind of, I forget the term that people say, but like the main thing. Cohesion. Yeah, the cohesion Mm -hmm. between us all, you know. Latest singles, Bring It Back. Anyone who knows music will know that there is a a big sample in there on the chorus. You got somebody to re-sing it, of of course. Talk to us about this latest single, man. Um, yeah, people wanted to hit people saying bring it back, so we're trying to bring it back for yeah. them. And we just um made a nice summer kind of garage track. It's kind of what people were asking for that kind of sound, that garage sound. It's not necessarily what I guess we're known for, mm-hmm. what we can do, but um, yeah, we thought, yeah, like Ox said, a nice summer track, um, for people to sing along to, but um, we've got some more like what we're known for hard stuff mm-hmm. will come out pretty soon not the album which you were asking for <laughs> but there are singles in the pipeline that uh yeah t- taking it to the dark you got them in the stash that's stuff. what you're saying yeah, 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 yeah. so on bring it back you're sampling but a lot of the time garage is sampled have you guys been sampled much and have you be or have you been requested for samples much we it's more my lyric the bound for yeah. the reload like mm-hmm. shout to all the artists from rap to drill um grime even that have mentioned you know either our name oxide neutrino the bound for the reload mm-hmm. I, I hear it so many times and i'm just like it's nice because especially coming from new generation that they acknowledge you know mm-hmm. what, what we've done um but music wise it's, I think it's hard for yeah, people you, to you hear influence rather yeah. than direct samples if that makes mm-hmm, sense yeah. like I've heard like the strings in rap this the dun 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 mm-hmm. I hear that same kind of vibe on a lot of records you know like you hear little elements from things so again you just look on it with a smile and you know it's good that people can be inspired by you know they put, might not even know either you, know. you said you got some raw um, music in the stash. Will you be throwing your hands at any UK jaw? Do you yeah, feel? Uh, that's that's not us. Yeah, it's that's it's tricky. Like beats wise, I I can make that stuff. Like it's not far off. You know what we've done anyway, and you have to keep current to a certain degree. But we're never going to be coming with that drill vibe, as it were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Just, you might get stuff that's close to it sound yeah. wise, mm-hmm. but you're never going to get. Nooch talking about going out stabbing everyone because you know, it's mm-hmm. not that. <laughs> hey, listen, man, it's been a great conversation with some architects in the building today Oxide and Nuccino, myself, SK Vibe Maker, on site. You know, man, thank you very much, guys. Thank you, no, thank you, man. On site podcast, industry experts, unfiltered opinions. Log on to www.knowyourselfouthere.com to watch or listen to the big catalogue of episodes on the Know Yourself Out Here network. Oh.